You're now listening to J House Podcast Radio in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Wine be the gang and you know them niggas Boot it up, turned up, piped up I'm back, baby, where the love? Where the love at? I'm back, baby, where the love? Where the love at? I'm back, baby, where the love? Boot it up, turned up Have you there, bro? Yeah, I'm here Sorry about that, you hear me okay? I can now Got you, got you But, um, yeah, I totally, I mean, I agree with you, bro Um I gave every confidence after the Oregon game last year that, okay, we could have something to work with. You know what I'm saying? With Bo Nix, maybe Gus knew what he was doing with developing a quarterback. Um, but at the same time, you know, okay, yeah, we ended up going on to win that Iron Bowl. You know, it was at Jordan Hare. No miracles involved. I think that was the most sound Iron Bowl that we played in in a long time. And I would, I would say a hundred yard pick six on a stupid ass play was a miracle. That, I mean, but at the same time, when we look at that game, though, when we look at the 2013, like you, the 2013 game, you said, you said yourself, it takes and then some, you know, to beat you guys when you're at your right. best. And right. that year, that year, that was what we were doing. And, you know, we're talking about fast-paced offense, offense, stacked formations, sending people in motion, doing all we can to confuse the, the Alabama defense, keep you guys on your toes. And the scoreboard indicated that we did a lot of that. And, right. and it took some. It then some, you know, with the kick six in order to win that game. So, I mean – you know, that is the Auburn fast that we talked about. That's the culture that Gus Malzahn established when he got here. That's the, the culture that he wanted to continue, you know, sort of sort of like the same way we did in 2010. We wanted to establish that, and that's what it was. And then after that, it's like, okay, now we're diving away from that culture. We're not so Auburn fast anymore. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, I would have rather taken that rather than what we're what we're doing now you know having Auburn play like like we're a standard team you know drop back three passes and uh you know what I'm saying just play the basic way of football that we don't do you know what I'm saying and I'm and I I used to play football so I'm not gonna sit here and I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I know the ins and outs and all the terminology but I do know play style and I do know what the philosophy is when the coach establishes it. And so that's what we've been riding on since 2013, Auburn fast. We're going to go fast. We're going to run fast. We're going to keep going, you know, rush, 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 pass all that, you know? And so lately, I mean, it's like you, and like you said earlier, we, I, I was at the a game and I've told this story a billion times and me and my brother were looking at Malik Willis, you know what I'm saying? Clearly, juco level guy you know what i'm saying someone with dual threat sensibility someone who can bring that sort of you know not the most accurate passer of course but similar to nick marshall in a way someone who can throw that ball someone who can run that ball create that play that fits the auburn style you know like it is and i thought that's who we were going to run with 
But no, we went with Bo Nix. That and, play. Yeah, and then it was just, you know, it, we went from there. I'm like, okay, this this is new, but we're willing to seek it out. They won at Oregon, and I'm like, okay, after this season, you know, okay, I thought, okay, we'll see what we're dealing with. But this season, though, there was no – because, I mean, we already lost in the bowl game to Minnesota last year. And I'm like, there was no national championship camp. Uh, you know, there was nothing involved. We haven't been to the Natty since 2013. And and once we got there, that's the championship expectation that we had. We want to be in that conversation now. And Gus gave people a taste of that. And once you give people a taste of that, there's no going back. There's no below that. There is no bowl game that will satisfy that. You know what I'm saying? There's none of that. It's just championship or bust. And as you see in the comment sections, you're seeing all of us Auburn fans share the exact same kind of sentiment. We don't, you know, we don't care about a bowl game. We're, we're looking for the championship. And so last night, what I saw was – you know, the culmination of everything that I've been talking about before. You know, I don't know what this is. You know what I'm saying? I would much rather have Gus being aggressive and throwing plays against the wall, hoping stuff that hoping it'll work rather than playing conservative like he did, you know, and Bo Nix, 23 for 38, 227 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Doesn't get any worse than that in the Iron Bowl. Can't play that way in the Iron Bowl. Um, to say that Mac Jones is a complimentary game manager. Uh, yeah, 18 for 26, 302, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. That does not sound like a game manager to me. Um, not to mention the running attack and the defense. And we couldn't do anything against that because there's no, there's nothing. We, <laughs> so like, I mean, no fast pace, no attack, no sugar offense. Nothing. Everything about that 2013 team is absent in this um, in this current team here. And so, I mean, I, I just don't I, I'm like, what did people expect? And Auburn fans can get mad at me if they want to. I'm not so I, I, I'm a diehard Auburn fan in my core to my blood. I'll never switch on my team. You know what I'm saying? I will go to my grave an Auburn fan. But understand this I do understand reality and I do understand when I can criticize my team and you know want better for our team and for our fans so sorry if you know beating Alabama isn't the highlight of my day you know because I want a national championship now forgive me if the Iron Bowl is no longer the biggest game of the year for me on my calendar so I mean you know, I had someone come – I had someone comment when Auburn had won. Um, I forgot what game it was. I don't know if it was against LSU or um, – I think it was against LSU. But um, some – some Al, another Alabama fan I know commented uh, on a post that I commented on. I said, I'll take that win. You know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm fine. I'll take that win. I'm glad. And – they were like, really? You're just satisfied with that? Your team such and such, such and such, and you're satisfied with that? I'm like, dude, first off, don't come at me like that. 
Second off, I've been telling everyone this whole time that either way, if there's no championship involved this season, Gus will be gone. I don't know where the money's going to come from. I don't know who's going to buy him out. But the the it's, he's gone. He's out of there, bro. Because there, there can't be another season of this. There can't be another season of this. Auburn is about one more bad season away from fading into irrelevancy in the SEC. I'm talking about mentioned along the lines of Vanderbilt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, come on, please. You know, how many times are we going to be this hyped up conversation? How many times are we going to, you know, be this team that could do it? You know what I'm saying? But it's not there, bro. It's not there. And I've grown to this point as an Auburn fan, as a mature football fan to the point where I don't even, like I said, I don't hate Alabama. I don't even hate, I don't even hate Alabama. I might hate some Alabama fans, but I don't hate Alabama. I respect the heck out of Nick Saban. I respect the heck out of their players because they built something there and they established that and they earn that. Everyone's like, well, Alabama gets to play the easiest schedule every year. No, they don't. At one point, that schedule they had was the hardest schedule. They've just mastered it so much over the years, this past decade, that now it's just for that they can swipe it easy like that. And you can go ask huh. Nick Saban. We doesn't look care. Easy. That's what it is. We make it look easy. Yeah, you got to make it look easy. And Nick Saban doesn't care if it's Coastal Carolina or Louisiana Monroe. He makes sure he makes sure that his players, you know, don't overestimate anything. It could be 63 to three. And if someone messes up on a, on a, on a block, he's going to go ham. There's footage of that, of him going off on Lane Kiffin and other players for that, even though they were up like 55 to seven, you know, like it doesn't matter. So, you know, all in all, and then I'll, I'll pass it back to you. It's just that it's just that Auburn as, as, as an Auburn fan right now, as a fandom, we just have to want better for ourselves. And if Gus is still here next season, I'm going to be royally pissed because I was at the A game. I was at the A game last season. Everyone in that stadium knew it. Gus was feeling that pressure. He knows what's up. It's either he wins a championship or he's out. You know what I'm saying? It's either he's in or he's out. You don't get the big contract and then not produce results. You, you know, you're out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, they're not paying Dabo Sweeney big numbers because he wins a lot of good games, this, you know, and, and stuff like that. No, he's winning chips, you know. So, I mean, they don't pay Nick Saban almost, what, nine to ten mil a year up in that pay raise because he brings Alabama to the SEC title. No, he gets them there because they, they give it to him because he wins the national title. And so – that's just where I'm at as an Auburn fan. I've told you a billion times. I've told other people a billion times. I'm over it, bro. I'm sick of being known as the team that had the miracle back-to-back -back finishes against Georgia and Auburn. As historic and iconic as that may be, what are we going to build off on after that? What What is that? Even after the Iron Bowl, even after we got blew out, ESPN and SportsCenter are still posting pictures from the uh, pick six and – you know, the miracle at Jordan Hare, the kick six and the miracle at Jordan. I'm like, and like, bro. But oh well, you know, people don't want to face reality. We just got swept out the way like we were disregarded garbage 
and now everybody's on to the Alabama LSU game. Oh, so Ogeron's got <laughs> hell to pay coming to his ass. If you, yeah. I don't know if this will make you feel better, but what Bama just did to Auburn is gonna pale in comparison to the ass whooping awaiting Ed Ogeron's loud mouth. I don't know if you saw the video, but Nick Saban and an entire Bama roster got to watch a video of Ogeron after last year's Bama LSU game saying, F Alabama, Bryant Denny is our house now. He shouldn't Ed Ogeron, that. son, you just dug your own grave. He shouldn't have said that. What's up, nice cast? Thanks for joining, man. Right. It for just joining. is what it is with Ogeron. The man dug his own grave. He should not have said that. That was that was wrong. He just shouldn't have said that. Oh, <laughs> don't worry. He'll regret saying it soon enough. He'll regret saying it soon enough when he's now when he's ran out of his own stadium. But. Yeah, I mean, unless LSU was in contention this year, he shouldn't have said that. Well, and and back on the Iron Bowl and Gus Malzahn, look, I'm going to give the man some credit. He did revolutionize college football. You know, he brought in this new era of fast-paced play. Um, He did. But we're we're at a point now where it's painfully obvious that Gus Malzahn, you know, that there's a difference in being a great coordinator and being a great head coach. Because Malzahn was the OC the year Cam Newton won the national championship. Uh, so, I mean, Gus is a great offensive master. He really is. Uh He's just not the best developer of talent. And that's been shown time and time again. Um, yeah. You know, I, I really can't add on to anything you said because my reactions are the same. Uh, I think Auburn, the culture is a culture of beat Alabama. I, I, and, and it's like I keep telling you, man, you know, you, you go to the – the Bama weight rooms and the Bama team meeting rooms, and you'll find words like, you know, dominate, excellence, champion. Uh, you go to Auburn, yeah. and in their team meeting room, on big, uh, in big orange letters, it says "Beat Bama." I mean, yeah. I think that, that right there ought to tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, and, and and the whole, like, you know, $21 million is what it would take to buy out for Gus Malzahn. But that culture, you know, his the record his record against Bama and compared to the rest of the SEC against Nick Saban is what, probably one of the better, if not the best bad. record against Bama out of everyone else. So that is the main reason why they've kept him around and – there, there's not really much of a, a talk for having him moved out. And so... Well, I'll say this. He, if he loses to Mississippi State, he'll be gone. Because I think... 
If I think the one loss this year that has Auburn fans really clamoring for his job was the South Carolina game. Because there was yeah. no reason that Auburn should have lost that game. Because I was thinking, like, if Gus loses to like, – if he finished the season 7-3 and three with losses to a top 15 Georgia team, a top 5 A&M team, and the number one team in the nation in Alabama, and those are his only losses, and if he was able to keep it close, his job would be fine. Because there's no shame in that, you know. Th- th- there's no shame in losing to a top. And, and and this isn't sarcasm. This is me being for real. There's no shame in losing to a top ten team. There's not. If you can keep it yeah. close. Now, what's hurt Malzahn is that Bama and Georgia both destroyed him. But man, that South Carolina loss hurt him because that's a game he should not have lost. No, that, that was – and honestly, I put that game more on Bo Nix than anybody else. Uh, that intentional grounding penalty cost him. So, and, yeah. uh, but in all seriousness, I, I think Gus will return because um, I think he'll beat Mississippi State. Because, I mean, good God, they don't have anything going on there. Uh, but I don't know about A&M. You know, if he beats A&M, that's a solid win. That's a great win. Um, so, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think you're, uh, you're going to be back on the Gus bus next year. Man, I can't take any more of this. I can't. I can't take any more of that, man. Because one more bad season and he's out. It's championship time, bro. We want rings. Well, I mean, it depends on, you know, what you define as a bad season. I mean, I think. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think with Auburn, the mentality is as long as you're making bowl games and you're competitive I mean I think their mindset is that's enough that is not enough and I well I mean and Gus Malzon to be fair has you know he's kind of kept that standard going he's been seven eight occasional nine win team oh and by the way here's my last bit of trolling I I love this so much because I've got Auburn fan friends who will with a smirk say did you know that Nick Saban has never beaten a nine-win Auburn team? And my response to that is, well, did you know that Coach Saban has been there since 2007? That's 13 years. In those 13 years, he has played four nine-win Auburn teams. Yeah. Four. Four. Out of 13. <laughs> wow. So four times in 13 years, you guys got to nine wins before you played us. Congratulations. Alabama hasn't won less than 10 games since 2008. 
2007 was the last time Bama didn't win 10 games. 2007. Since then, 10 win, 10 win, 10 win, 10 win, 10 win, 10 win. 14, 15 championship is what it is. That's my last bit of trolling. I'm sorry. Yeah, I feel you on that, bro. I just had to throw that out there because Auburn fans will seriously throw that out there. Like, that's a happy stat. He's never beaten a nine-win Auburn team. And I'm like, well, guess what? Saban's only played four of them. <laughs> yeah. The, tra- the trash talk can no longer be, you know, oh, you know, we beat you guys in 2013 and we beat you guys last year. No, that can no longer be the talk. We can only match championship for championship. And you mentioned. Oh, y'all got a long way to go then. That's what I'm, and that's what I'm trying to tell Auburn fans. That's what I'm trying to tell the rest of my Auburn fans. Like, you know, they're talking about, I mean, you talked about the level of competition and I'm like, in the SEC and in college football, when we start talking about college football, we already know what the competition level is in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? And, but however, there's some, cause you're playing for a Super Bowl and coaches get hired every year, you know, just for bringing a team to a better record, you know, than they were last year. Cause that means they're one step closer to, to, a, to a possible Super Bowl run, you know, but when it comes down to the national championship in college football, the competition level is even stricter, I feel, for all the teams who want to make it in, who all the teams who want to compete for that national title. And so there's little to no room for error, even down to the way you play. A win is a win in the NFL. But then you get to college, you know, oh, no, you can't just win. You have to win dominantly. You have to play sound. You know what I'm saying? So the, the 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 standards for college football, I feel, are a lot more higher than anything else, and um, and that's where that's where that's what all, us Auburn fans have to realize, bro. This isn't just about beating Alabama. This is about trying to rise to a higher standard of play. You know what I'm saying? Trying to get to champion because, like, I've been at that for the past five years. You know, all I have to say to Alabama fans on a good year that we do win the Iron Bowl is, yeah, we beat you guys, you know, all that. Okay, but because of the rankings and because of how good everybody plays, Alabama, Georgia, you know, other teams are still going to the national title and Auburn's going where? To a bowl game, even though we beat Alabama or Georgia or whatever. I'm like, no, I got sick of that. I was done with that. I'm like, forget about it. I'm done with that. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, how else I can explain it to, to Auburn fans, bro. This thing has to be better. Because that's the only, the only way that we will be able to match people in track, any fan base, not just Alabama or, you know, whoever's in the SEC, but anyone that we play is, yeah, but we won the championship this year. And then we have to match it up by – winning another championship so that we can also say that, okay, Hey, we want, we got a few titles. So, you know, we're not just some joke that's only known for beating one rival team, you know, every other year. That's what, you know, that's what it's gotta be. You know, that's just, that's, and, and it works for the NFL because, you know, as a Bronco fan, 
I can sit here and talk all the noise I want the Saints fans or, you know, anybody. I'm like, hey, talk to me when you guys have three Super Bowl championships. But you don't. You only have one. You know what I'm saying? You can't you can't say anything to me, you know. Um, so, I mean, the rings have to talk, bro. And right now, Auburn has a long way to go before we can talk to anyone. Like I keep telling you, brother, if you want to know what it's like to get some rings, I got a beautiful crimson and white shirt in my closet boy, just with your name on it. I'm just saying. Boy, the offer, no. In, in case you forgot, the offer still – Eric, I hate seeing you like this, buddy. I I'm hate broke. seeing you. I'm all, fine. All down. I hate seeing that Auburn has let you down again. You know, I mean, it's okay. Bro. It's okay. Bro, I'm I mean, not, bro, I am not, trust me, I am fine. I am fine. The A and the U and the Eagle and the Tiger are going to survive long after whoever. And the no ring. It's going to be there. So we, we're always going to rebound and have another chance. But that's Tiger Pride it. for you, bro. That's Tiger Pride. I'm going to stick with it, bro. I ain't gonna ever switch on my team. Don't even try. Don't. Even- I, I admire, I admire the dedication. Hey, look. Hey, it could be worse. You could be Vanderbilt. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> zero win. How do you win zero games? I don't know. But yeah, bro, this was fun. And everybody, please stay tuned. Because we have a great second half planned. Indeed. Indeed. We're we going to break down two female Star Wars characters, Jen Urso and Ray, And we're going to discuss why one character worked and the other one fell flat on its face. Yep. We'll be ready. Stay tuned. Here, word from our commercial sponsors. This is Jay House Podcast. What is up, bro? You good? You back? What's up? Chilling, bro. Chilling. Ready for this second half. Been waiting on this. Uh, been waiting on this topic ever since you uh, announced it. Had a lot of time to think about it. Uh, for come back to the second half, and um, I'll say this because I'm not spoiling, but if anything, the best female character in all of Star Wars, arguably. This has been a year for that character. I'll just say that because I'm not trying to spoil anything. You know, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian season one or two, go watch it, catch up, and then come back and holler at me because I know you're going to be hyped. I know you, Evan, are going to be hyped personally if, you, if you've if you managed to avoid all of the spoilers, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about um, another strong female Star Wars character and then the other one, who is not so um, not so awesome. And um, when you announced this topic, I really thought about it for a minute because I have I, I was like, bro, as soon as you announced it, I had like a whole laundry list of things. But, um, you know, we, we've we've had conversations about who strong female characters are. We've had conversations about, you know, or better yet, we've had examples of who strong female characters are, how strong female characters are supposed to be um, betrayed, 
and we've had examples of how they're not supposed to be. And when we talk about strong female characters, we establish the basis that a strong female character is someone who comes from the bottom, just like everyone else, goes through their ups, goes through their downs, learns, becomes stronger, learns some more, you know what I'm saying, and becomes the great character that everyone loves. You know what I'm saying? Um, we also established that a, a female character, a strong female character is not someone who is to be, um, is not to be, uh, you know, just toxic. You know, I'm, I can do these things just because I'm a woman. I can do these things just because I'm better than everyone, because I'm better than, you know what I'm saying? So-and-so, so-and-so. No, 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 no. That's not what that is. Um, thanks, Alexis, and thanks for Karen for joining. Appreciate you guys. Um, that's not what a strong female character is. And somehow, when George gave the franchise over to Disney, you know, Kathleen Kennedy had this great idea that we're just going to, you know, we're just going to run the whole thing, you know, with one female character who's just going to have the force just because she can, you know what I'm saying? Just because, you know what I'm saying? She's a woman. And that, that was not the way to do that. <laughs> that was just not the way to do that. And then we get to someone like Jen Erso, you know what I'm saying? Who a lot of people try to deem as a Mary Sue, but no, she was not. Otherwise everyone would hate her, but they don't because she started from the bottom just like everyone else did came up didn't even want to join the empire at first she was like no nah. but then she did and she ended up participating in one of the most epic moments and one of the most vital moments in all of star wars history and um and so i'm like the difference for me was pretty clear there and um so yeah well the the, the topic for today, and, and I, I agree with everything you just said, you know, because Star Wars has become uh, a franchise led by female protagonists, which I have no issue with at no. face value if you give me a female character worth watching. Mm -hmm. And the same logic applies to the male characters for me. Like, if you give me a character worth watching, you have my interest. You have my interest. Um, but there have been two main female characters. One is Ray, or Ray Palpatine, or Ray Skywalker, whatever you want to call her. The other one is Jen Urso. And a real quick, kind of spoiler free rundown. Of these characters, if you're out there and you haven't seen the movies, Ray yeah. is the main protagonist of episodes seven, eight, and nine. She's a, a yeah. uh, she kind of starts off this nobody from nowhere who, for some yeah. unexplicable reason, has mastered the force, mastered lightsaber combat without training. Uh, really, there's nothing much to say about her. Uh, the other is Jen Erso, a character who was given a, a very depressing backstory 
with her, uh, you know, her parent, her mom being killed and her dad being a prisoner for the longest time. And her, con- yeah. her I, what I loved about Jen was her connection to Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like her being related yeah. to the Death Star being made because, you know, her, her yeah. father designed the Death Star, but put, but put that one flaw in there. Just so it can yeah. destroy, because he should have this much power, um, right. you know. And and Jen Urso goes on this whole thing of, I don't really want to be in the rebellion, but then the rebellion get promises her freedom, so she says hell with it. Um, and, you know, she goes on this whole journey of becoming who she needs to be in order to get the job done. Um, yeah. And it's fun to watch. It really is. It is. I, I love Jen as a character. Uh, if you ask me what Jen's personality was, I'd say that she's very headstrong. She's uh, she's very brave. She's got a bit of a wit about her. Uh, she's a fun character to watch. If you ask me right. what's Ray, I would say I, I, I can't tell you. I could yeah. I couldn't tell you what Ray's personality is. They didn't give her one. Yeah. Um but the the question is and I'm going to let you answer this first and then I'll give my theory on this. Right. Why is Jen Urso so well received and such a great character and Ray was not as well received and is not as great of a character? That's be and and that's a good question. That's because everything that you just said, literally, the connection, the backstory, you know what I'm saying. We understand where Jen Urso is coming from. You know, from a lore perspective, we understand that the Geonosians were the you know the workforce for building that Death Star. We understand the Empire had a scientific division for this whole sort of thing. You know, and uh, you know. Um, along with director Krennic, who was a close friend of Jen Urso's dad um, during the Clone Wars, uh, you know, there's a scene of them hanging out on Coruscant. So, you know, of course, Jen was very close to the to the to the Clone Wars conflict for the for that three years. And, um, you know, then her dad is told, you know, OK, now we're about to start working on this Death Star you know, he's, you know, the head of this thing, but he's realizing that this is not, you know, dang. So, um, her connection, man, that whole connection, all of that, that backstory makes all the difference in people being able to connect to you as a character or not being able to connect to you if you don't have one. You know, we can go to, to Jen Urso's profile and be like, okay, this is where she came from. This is you know, how she got here. And then to top it all off, even after Rogue One, it wasn't a ride off into the sunset, you know, type ordeal. She sacrificed her life. She died at the end in sacrifice of the rebellion. You know what I'm saying? So if that's not someone that you'll remember, that's just not some character that dies and you just, oh, you forget about them. No, no, you remember her because she went hard the whole freaking movie. You know what I'm saying? Um, for Ray and, and 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 for Jen, that's why people received her so much. That was real. 
You know what I'm saying? She was down in the gutter, rebellion fighter, just like everyone else was, regardless of race, regardless of, you know, sex, male or female. It didn't matter. They didn't try to make that out to be a point. It's everyone. You know, everyone's been in this fight against the Empire. Everyone is in this galactic struggle. It's not just you alone, you know. So that's what made everybody love Jen. For Ray, um, they gave us nothing to go off of that first those first two movies. You know what I'm saying? When we talk about TFA and Force Awakens, as visually stunning as they look and as awesome as they they are in some aspects, for me, that there and for other there's just nothing there to connect with Ray for. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? You know what I'm saying? Um, I love. I told you this. I love the throne room scenes in the Last Jedi. You know, the one where Snoke is is humiliating uh, or downing Kylo Ren because he like you know you you were unbalanced. Um, you lost to a um, to to a girl who had never held a lightsaber before. You failed, and then I'm like, for me, that conversation was unnecessary. That was one that didn't have to be had that shouldn't have even had to been had because logically that didn't make sense. We're like, okay, where did Ray learn to wield a lightsaber? Where did she learn to fight with a lightsaber? Everyone's like, Oh, well she learned how to fight with a staff. I'm like, that does not equate over to fighting with a lightsaber. (laughs) So I'm like, where, where's the history behind that? We have no here. Where does Ray come from? She's just a girl in the middle of a desert. Where where are you from? Where are your roots at, bro? Like, and, the, and it was obvious they had none. Because obviously, you know, by the middle point, we ought to know. You know what I'm saying? We ought to know where you come from. And we couldn't even get that. It was like you said in the other, in the other podcast. You're like, oh, wait, we're about to find out who Ray's parents are. But nope, just what? She's nobody. <laughs> I was like, bro. You know what I'm saying? So obviously we understand how lack of giving Ray a proper history and a proper story led to, you know, being stuck with where to go. You know, luckily they got J.J. Abrams back in there and they were able to retcon The Last Jedi. You know, I created Stoke and da-da-da, killed the girl. You know, she's not who you think she is. And then we find out she's the granddaughter, you know. Um, and, and I'll say, and I'll, this, I'm wrapping it up before I pass it back to you. I'll establish this, that yes, I am grateful that Disney went back and they retconned that and they tried to fix that whole situation and give race some sort of meaning. But at the same time, it was already unnecessary. It, it not unnecessary, it was necessary. They did, but at the same time, it was not a solution that was going to stick very much with a lot of people because, you're just going to bring in Palpatine for the last movie, say, hey, that's my granddaughter. But then you're leaving all of that story wide open. OK, where when did when did Palpatine have a family? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where was that at? You know, when did he you know what I'm saying? When's all this? When did you know what? <laughs> you know, so I mean, for him to have a granddaughter, I'm like, where's the backstory on that? So that made it all that more confusing but it wasn't the story aspect that we thought about so but it certainly made ray more viable as a character okay i can respect that 
she's Palpatine's granddaughter. That's why she's so powerful. You know, I can understand that. But at the same time, it doesn't forgive the fact that she had no history, no ties, no training to anything that was going on. And so it, it that's what made it impossible for us to connect with each with her. You understand, you know, we don't have to run through Ahsoka. We already know Ahsoka, probably the best female character in Star Wars right now. If not, you know, um, we already know where she come from, from the bottom, came in the Clone Wars, started out as a Padawan you know, went through some stuff with Anakin, experienced Order 66. You know, we know where she came from. She's trained. We know her roots, her history. We're connected with that. With Ray, we don't know. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Oh, but at the last minute, you Palpatine's granddaughter, though. Since when? Like, since what? Since JJ wrote that? But, I mean, better that than you just not be anyone. But that's what, that, for me, that's what made us connect with Jen and Ahsoka and other characters as opposed to, you know what I'm saying, as opposed to Ray. I mean, me personally, I may be in the minority here, but I absolutely loved the plot twist of Ray is Palpatine's granddaughter. I mean, I, I thought that was a... I thought that was, it was a, a good move. plot twist. Um and I think a lot of times yeah. Star Wars fans are just overly critical of movies. Um, and I think I think I, there's a lot I of them so out too. there Sometimes, that are just yeah. ready to to trash anything that George Lucas didn't do. Uh, yeah. Which I mean, I guess I get, but for me, when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to Ray and it comes to Jen, and we talk about why one character well than the other, for me it's as simple as one was actually given a plausible backstory, obstacles to overcome, yeah. and put in that underdog yeah. situation where we're pulling for you. You know, because I feel right, like. Right. With Ray, they went for okay, we're female Luke Skywalker. Because, I mean, if you think back to it in Star Wars Episode 4, we didn't know anything about Luke Skywalker. Like, if that's your first Star Wars film you've ever seen, A New Hope, you don't know anything about Luke. I mean, you realize he catches on pretty quick with right. the lightsaber, but if you look at the way he was handled. In A New Hope, Luke was plumb terrified of Darth Vader. He wasn't he, he wasn't about to he go won't. head up with him. I mean, that, that would have been about a two-second yeah. beatdown for Darth Vader. Yeah. Might even kill him. In The Empire Strikes Back, they took Luke and they said, all right, get ready for the mother of all plot twists. He's Darth Vader's son. I mean, that's got to be the mother right. of all plot twists. I mean, what? Uh, I I would even go so far as to say that for anyone who might have wanted to speculate even back in 1977, I would even go so far as to say that seeds of that were planted when Ben was telling him about his dad being in the Clone Wars. I would even go so far as to submit that because it wasn't until Return of the Jedi where 
you know, Obi-Wan's like, what I told you was true from a certain point of view. When Anakin executed Order 66, he did die and he became Vader. So what I told you was true just from a different perspective. I would even submit that they plant they planted that seed plum well, right well, there well, in episode well, sure. four. Well, well, sure. but, but the point I'm getting five. at here is yeah. you you look at that and then Luke in episode five, the entire movie is about him getting ready to fight Darth Vader. And there's the there's these epic training right. montages with Yoda, the greatest Jedi ever. But after all that, he still loses. Like after all still that. Still lost gets trained by Obi-Wan in Episode 4, Yoda in Episode 5, goes up against Vader at the end of Episode 5, and gets his hand cut off. He lost. I mean, it was one of those things. I mean, it wasn't until the very end of Episode 6 where Luke got the upper hand. You know, no pun intended with the whole hand cut off thing. (laughs) Uh a hand for a hand. <laughs> but you, contrast that with Ray. Yeah. We knew nothing about Ray going into episode seven. We knew nothing about her. And personally, I was fine with that because I remembered this is the same way they treated Luke Skywalker. They didn't really tell us anything about him in the fourth episode. Mm-hmm. So let's see what they do. I was perfectly okay yeah. with not knowing anything about Ray. But watching her straight up. Merc, the villain, Kylo Ren, the way she did, I was like, okay, y'all got to give me something here. Y'all need to explain how she pulled that shit off. She's somebody. She is someone to be able to pick up that lightsaber for the first time. And, you know, she was, and and people will defend that and say, well, Kylo was wounded. And my response to that is, well, that didn't stop them from laying Finn out. Because he, he laid that boy Finn out right. in like two seconds. Put that lightsaber up his back. Cut. Really? Turn that boy Damn. into a bacon slice? Uh, Straight yeah. up? Yeah. But, you know, Ray got a hold of him and whooped his ass. And then in the eighth film, you know, I'm like, okay, I just, all I wanted from the eighth movie was, who the hell is Ray? Like, how, like uh, give me a reason why that hero was able to do that that easily. Um, right. It's like, you know, Kylo Ren tells her in the episode, it's where nobody from nowhere. I heard that and I'm in the theater and right. I'm like, oh, hell no. Hell no. You ain't, you ain't about to pull that one right. over. But then, you know, in the ninth movie, I mean, they waited till yeah. the ninth movie to say, Oh, by the way, she's Palpatine's granddaughter. For me, that made everything else make sense. Right. I'm like, okay, that's why she could do what she did. Okay, that's that's fair. And then that That's the only that's the only and way that to gave justify her that. some connection to Star Wars. So I was like, okay, I guess that fits. Palpatine is put down by his own granddaughter. Okay, you know, whatever. Uh, but as it relates to Jim, yeah. you look at the way she was handled in one film. We got her backstory and we got to watch her blossom into a hero. In one film. Right. And, you know, she was out there right. kicking ass. 
Jen was not a damsel in distress yeah. who had to be saved. She was out there blasting. She was out there killing. She was out there kicking ass. And we loved it. Right. And this is what I don't understand. You know, we had a conversation a while back or a couple of days ago about uh, Elizabeth Banks' comments about females in movies, action films. And, you know, right. and we've broken down how yeah. there have been tons of examples of female characters in action films who have dominated the box office. Yeah. You know, you got Kill Bill, you got yeah. Mad Max, you got Pulp Fiction, you got a bunch of movies. I mean, of course, my favorite go-to is always Ellen Ripley from Alien. You know, the, the most popular right. horror sci-fi film to ever exist. And I don't even think that's close. All due respect right. to Predator, but I mean, come on. Alien was the shit back in the day. And that was back in the 70s and 80s. Ellen Ripley was out there tearing up the box office. But again, we love Ellen. Right. Why? Because there's a difference in a badass woman character and a badass character who happens to be a woman. There's a huge difference. I don't have a problem yeah. with seeing a woman kick ass. But don't give me this shit about she can do it because she's a woman. Because I'm thinking there's never yeah. been a hero who's like, I can just do this because I'm a man. You know, wh where's that character yeah. at? And a lot of people have compared Ray <laughs> to Superman. And people have said, why do people... You know, love Ray or hate Ray because she's overpowered, but love Superman. And my response to that is because we at least know why Superman is so powerful. We've been given that explanation. He's from Krypton. Yeah. Now you can you can argue that's not a great explanation, yeah. but some explanation is better than none at all. I mean, could you imagine if it was just Superman? And he yeah. was out there telling women to stand behind him and stand down and go sit down. Could you imagine? No, you could not, because that would not be well received. In the same way that you know you had Holdo yeah. telling Poe to sit down because he's a man. Oh, Admiral Hot Topic out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, ultimately, what yeah. I think it comes down <laughs> to, man, is just yeah. one character was interesting and one wasn't. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. You know, I, I think that a character being a minority or a character being a woman is cool. That's not enough to make people like you. Like, I talked about Into the Spider-Verse. And I said on this show that I related more to Alice, who's a black character, than I ever did Peter Parker, who's a white character. Why? Because of the situations that Miles right. went through. Because of who he is. He's a kid who's in a situation that he don't want to be in. He had his friends, but his parents wanted better for him, so they put him in a school that he didn't like. Um... But I mean, it's a better school, yeah. but Miles is miserable. And 
I think there's a lot of people can relate to that. Um, and so, you know, ultimately yeah. when it comes to heroes, protagonist, I think the number one most important quality is relatability. You know, because, you know, we look at Batman and Superman yeah. and all the heroes of the MCU on the other side. And we love them, not because of all these other things, but it's because they're just one person trying to do the right thing. And we love that underdog story. Yeah. You know, but, you know, all the characters were given a backstory yeah. and reasons for why they are the way they are which is you know i could honestly on a whole different yeah. hour rant that i'll save about why the mcu is so amazing <laughs> with all the different backstories they've been able to pull off with all their characters i mean good god i mean the more i've actually been going to binge on disney plus because there's still some MCU movies I haven't seen. Uh, but I got to tell you, man, it's amazing what yeah. they pulled off. And I, I'm willing to submit now, you know, best is subjective. Best is always. But when it comes to greatest and accolades and what it pulled off, I still think, man, that the MCU has got to be up there when you talk about greatest franchise of all time. I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, you got to give. I, I'm gonna give I respect. Think it, I, I, I think always, it's uh, earned its seat ahead. in the throne room with Star Wars and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Man, I think it's up there. Yeah, it has. And and the only thing about that, though, the only caveat to that is that once someone enters that throne room once once you put star wars in the throne room with i mean the mcu in the throne room with star wars and 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 um lord of the rings and all the other great franchises in order to keep that going the other franchises have to keep doing you know original things and new things in order to continue being great and the mcu has definitely uh, done that um I'll I, I don't feel, know if I would agree that the other uh, franchises have to do anything, because I. I mean, not do not do anything, oh, but okay. if if they're still doing something, yeah, that, you know, like franchises that, that's, still continuing, that, you have to. Because my the, mindset yeah. is, once you're in that throne room, yeah. you're in that throne room. Like, and you're not getting out anytime soon. Like, yeah, and I think greatest franchises ever. I think Harry Potter, Star Wars, and. Honestly, man, I'm at the point now, I, I, I'm tempted to say that the MCU has eclipsed all of them in terms of popularity. It, I mean, Star Wars being the one exception, but, I mean, I, I can't get over it, man. What the... I need to slap, I, I need to slap whoever was in the storyboard room for this sequel trilogy. That's because... Star Wars almost yeah, got put right. out the throne room and but halfway hey, out know, the door with and that. And story. while we're on the subject of Star Wars, we, you know, we can kind of get into this topic like a little quick 10 minute discussion before we cut out. But, you know, I was thinking about this, you know. Yeah. My take is that Rise of Skywalker 
was actually a damn good Star Wars film. Was it perfect? No. Was it, I mean, as I see it, I think it was better than Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones for a couple of reasons. You know, I I thought the acting was better. Go ahead. ahead. I thought that the visuals were amazing. And it was a good story. You know, we had Palpatine come back. I mean, for me, though, you have to understand, Eric, that one scene of Palpatine shooting down all those ships, I mean, that right there, that there alone puts it up there for me. Just that one scene of seeing that man stand up and say, oh, you think just because you've got backup, you're going to beat me? Ha, check this out. Boom. I mean... I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for Palpatine. Right now, Revenge but, of the Sith is way better than Rise of Skywalker. I'll go ahead and say that way better. Revenge of the Sith was amazing. Um, you know what? I'll put Phantom Menace above Rise of Skywalker. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll get. I'll give you a Phantom Menace. I'll give you a Phantom Menace. I because. I, I do like Darth Maul and that final fight between him, Obi-Wan, and Anakin. No, not Anakin. Him, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon. My bad. That was a lit fight. That was a good fight. But, 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 Attack of the Clones, Hayden Christensen's acting, that's a big turnoff for me. I mean, yeah, that might have been the way they planned it out, space opera. For me, and and this is just me, man. This is my opinion. For me, I I, I, I straight up can't watch some scenes in that movie because I cringe so hard. I ain't lying. I'm not trying to troll. I'm being like the, the scenes of him talking to Padme about how he's in agony and all this other stuff. His voice, I mean, I hit skip. And I'm like, just get me to the final fight on Geonosis already. Get me to that fight. Because that's the one scene in the movie I actually enjoy. Well, that and Obi-Wan's battle with Jango. That's a good fight. Um, But as it pertains to Rise of Skywalker, I actually thought Rise of Skywalker, even as a Star Wars film, was good. And I know a lot of people hate it. You know, oh, it was just an apology. And I'm like, well, yeah, but would you rather have a double-down version of The Last Jedi? So. Yeah. And I. Yeah, I openly call it an apology, but it was a good one. It was one like and I respect it was a very it, I, I agree. I think it was a a de- I, I'll say decent in my opinion because it was an apology and I respect Disney for that. It didn't sink Star Wars in any way, shape, or form because Disney is still killing it. You know what I'm saying? TV show wise, character wise, lore wise. You know what I'm saying? But it came at the sacrifice. I think Rise of Skywalker was. It came at it came at the price of sort of unraveling some things from a from a substance point of view because 
even though we talk about the surface things of films, you know, the acting, you know, all this, you know, with the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones and, you know, everything else that um, other Star Wars fans like to talk about at the end of the day, you know, those films still had substance, you know, they still had heavy lore that was added to, um, to the Star Wars franchise. And without a doubt, without those films, the franchise wouldn't be where it is today. But with Rise of Skywalker, you make a very, you know, for me, you make a very expensive mistake when you, um, when you bring Palpatine back, of course, which was good. That was hype. And then you have Ray, you know, Ray kills him off, of course. And, you know, thus I'm like, Anakin already did that in episode six. That was his chosen one prophecy to fulfill, you know, and he did that. So bringing back Palpatine for me had a lot of complications along with it. And I'm like, okay, so now that just means everything Anakin went through from your canon, from Disney's canon perspective meant a damn thing at all. And I'm like, you know, okay. But for me, I don't accept the sequels as canon. So, I mean, for me, that's not the case. For other people, yeah. But um, then, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, I need to slap whoever was in the meeting room with writing room with J.J. Abrams that day because that little ending segment, you basically just copy and pasted from Avengers Endgame. That's what I was saying when Star Wars, when I said Star Wars with that movie almost got kicked out the throne room because you know, you got in the MCU that moment, you know, I am inevitable. I am Iron Man. That's always going to be the MCUs. That was iconic for me. That part, the ring scene where everyone came back to help cap. That was a legendary moment. That was the moment for me that the MCU joined the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars and all the other franchises, some of the greatest of all time. For me, that was that moment. So for you as Star Wars, to at the last minute, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Palpatine doing all that, bringing all the ships down, that was awesome. Legit. I'll never say that was lit. But then for Poe to come back, you know, with this cheesy line, look at this, oh my God, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just so, to me, it was cheesy. It was very forced, it was cheesy, and then having all the ships come back magically in the galaxy when in episode eight, there wasn't a darn person who answered Leia's call to come help them. Not one. You know what I'm saying? But now, oh, everybody in the galaxy is coming I to help, let alone. That. Huh? Yeah, like, all let right, alone so against Palpatine. Eric. All right, like, I'll tell you what. I tell you what, this is a J House first. I'm gonna go ahead and admit I was wrong, and I'm gonna go ahead and re- and put Attack of the Clones and all the sequels up over all the sequels. I'm gonna go ahead and do that. But you know, I will say this though: you mentioned cheesy. Yeah. I don't think it gets any more cheesy than I don't like sand. It gets everywhere, but, but not like here, Padme. Padme, please love me, because I'm Anakin, oh my God. and I'm sad, and please. I mean, dude, come on. Like, 
that that is cringe. Like I've yet. Come I, on, that's cringe. I have good. I have I have my own personal reasons for defending that because it didn't ruin the whole movie for me. Yeah, it, it, you know, there's I for me. I mean, I can defend that all day long. I at least. For me, the way I look at it, at least when George wrote it, that was what he intended. It was original. However, however, it came across to people. It is what it is, but it was original. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I it is what it is with that. But it's much it's still a heck of a lot better than, you know, hey, we're going to copy and paste this little part right here from the end of Endgame. And then we're going to put it in there and see if Star Wars fans realize the same result. I was sitting in the theater. I'm like, I know y'all didn't. I know y'all did. Do y'all think, do y'all really think, this is how I know Disney cares about money a lot. Did y'all really think we were that stupid? Like you just thought that you were going to copy and paste the success of the MCU in that one film and then put it in Star Wars and think that it was going to have the same flip effect. I am all the Sith. And I am all the Jedi. Nigga, bruh, Ray might as well have been Iron Man right there. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, bro, I know these fools just did not try to do that. And for me, that's why I continue to, you know, all the rest of Rise of Skywalker, I enjoyed. I loved it. But when they did that part right there, for me personally, that was when I was like, okay, this whole trilogy is just like garbage. Throw it away put it in the garbage. I'm thankful for the apology, but I mean, looking back in retrospect, it doesn't, I'll say this, the sequel trilogy didn't do, it didn't sink star Wars and it didn't, you know what I'm saying? Because as of right now, the clone wars was hot. The Mandalorian is the official new face of star Wars. Like bro, who would have predicted, you know what I'm saying? So even though this sequel trilogy wasn't all that, you know, we thought it would be or all that it could have been for us as fans for Mark, for Mark Hamlin, all the actors, John Boyega, you know, for everyone, even though it wasn't that I'm still glad to say that, Hey, star Wars, right. I have it. We're still getting new movies. We're still getting new shows. Yeah. Yeah. Grateful. Absolutely. I'm and grateful. You know, for honestly, that. I'm not shocked Period. that the Mandalorian so good. Cause John Favreau is an amazing director. Who's he is? Man, what he did? John. Favre no, I know that. I'm, I'm agreeing a, with a, you. A yeah, him and Dave Filoni really been is. running that thing, bro. Uh, and you know, I'll, I'll concede this, man, because you know I, I might mock you here and there whenever we talk about Snyder and originality, but. You know, you do make good points about the the sequel tri- or the the prequel trilogy. Because, you know, someone like me can talk all they want about the acting not being good, some of the lines being cheesy, yada yada. But at the end of the day, man, the prequels yeah. provided way more substance for the Star Wars saga than the sequels, and that's not even close. Uh, you know the with the prequels, they had a pre-planned yeah. story. Not even this is Anakin Skywalker as a slave boy. This is Anakin Skywalker as a apprentice Jedi. 
And this is Anakin Skywalker as the best Jedi out there, but he's still not getting the cred he deserves for whatever reason. Um, you know, personally, I thought that was, you know, the more I watched yeah. Revenge of the Sith, the more and more that I put that movie up on a high pedestal. And I defend the hell out of that movie because I thought Hayden Christensen completely turned it around for that movie. Yeah. Because I thought in Attack of the Clones, what we got was Love Struck, Sissy, Anakin Skywalker. But in Revenge of the Sith, we got, I'm the best damn Jedi out there. Like, I just took on a Sith Lord and Count Dooku, cut his damn head off, carried my best friend on my back off this ship. Yeah, and saved the Chancellor in the process. I basically did something that Master Yoda failed to do in Episode 2, which is kill Count Dooku. I mean, I've done something that none of you fools have done. And y'all still won't put me on the count or or give me the rank of Master? Like, what do I have to do now? Like, this is some bullshit. Yeah. And then you know you got pa- you got Palpatine telling it at the yeah. same time, bro. They're just jealous of you. Like, yeah. you know, I know how good you are. I've been watching. They killing you. You saved me, man. I watched you. You're the best out there. They should be treating you as such. And that's all it took to turn them. And you know what? That's very plausible. That's very yeah. plausible. So I got to put respect on the. On the Revenge of the Sith, but overall, to wrap yeah. this up, the reason that characters like Jen get so much credit yeah. is because they gave us a character with a very compelling backstory and a reason to be there and a purpose to serve for the saga, which are all things that weren't given with Ray. So that wraps up with my thoughts. Yeah. Yep. I feel you on that. And I'll say I'll say this short thing. Um I can live with someone doing something original and if the crowd if they don't like it, if they don't receive it, I can live with that. That's cool. At least you gave it to you. What I can't live with is not being a hundred percent original. And thinking that you're going to get the same success. That I cannot live with. Thankfully that's not the case for the prequels. In the original trilogy. Because they're widely beloved. I think it, it does my heart joy. To see all these new. You, like if you go look on YouTube. You know you you can see all these new YouTubers. Who are not hardcore Star Wars fans. They're just reacting to like. Revenge of the Sith. And they're reacting to the Clone Wars. And reacting to Phantom Menace and Attack. And all that. They're reacting to Empire Strikes Back. A New Hope. And you know Return of the Jedi. They're reacting to all these Star Wars films. And they love all of them. And I'm like yeah. see that's what. That's what I like right there. You know what I'm saying. Um, I'll admit, I'll admit the, the Star Wars right. fandom is picky. Very picky when it comes to these movies. You know what I'm saying? But when when it comes down to everyone else, people who don't know that much about this thing, they're in love with it. And I'm like, dang, this is how I wish all Star Wars fans would act. Despite mistakes, despite opinion, at least you would love all of them. You know what I'm saying? This division 
drives the Star Wars fandom crazy. And, um, you know, and in that and in that retrospect, you know, in that retrospect, that's why I don't I'm not even commenting to other kids who are growing up with this sequel trilogy. I'm not going to do that to them because this is the Star Wars that they have to grow up with. This is probably the sequel trilogy that my son's going to have to grow up with until they make another one. You know what I'm saying? This is what they're going to have. Of course, I'm going to introduce them to, to the real ones. You know what I'm saying? But this is Star Wars for them. And so, you know, just just have to be thankful. And I'm glad. And I still love Disney at the end of the day for all they're doing, uh, for all they're doing well, now. I mean, the comics, the shows. Disney to thank for the I'm MCU, at, so I'm content. Can't be mad at them. That too. This is a that cool too. Man. I'm not going to trip. That too. Yeah. <laughs> this was definitely a good one, man. I enjoyed this one, bro. I enjoyed this one. Uh, thanks for everyone who tuned in on this live. You can follow this live on IG. You can also follow us on IG. Listen to this podcast on J House Podcast Radio under our section on uh, www.jhousecomics.com. Follow us on Vero at J House Comics, Twitter at J House 1997. And we will catch you guys later. You guys have a blessed Monday and a blessed. Hey, you guys, what's up? Short, um, updated podcast live from Women and Children's Hospital in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome to J House Podcast Radio. Um, it's been a crazy day. So Wednesday was typically just like any other. Um, it was just like any other. Well, yeah, no, Tuesday. Tuesday was just like any other regular normal day. We were going to have a checkup for him. Um, everything like, you know, get him checked out, um, get him looked at, make sure everything's fine. And all of a sudden we find out that he has to be taken early because his um because his weight was down from the last time that it was up so that was unexpected and Tessa's doctor went ahead and made the call to go ahead and take him early so um with that that ended up um beginning like the whole thing uh you know they checked her into a a a birthing suite you know got her all set up and everything I'm like okay so we're dug in deep don't even have our emergency um our emergency pregnancy bags you know that we packed up and everything that we've been preparing so um it was just crazy bro it was crazy it was out of nowhere it was just like it was wild bro and so unexpected um so now they talked about well not now but then they talked about doing a c-section to go ahead and get him up out of there early because the placenta was not healthy and that it was dying and so it, it could make him sick so they had to go ahead and take him out uh within two hours they had her ready to go and ready for um prep for surgery so they went ahead and did what they had to do got us all in scrubs and uh, that was that, bro. So it was crazy. Um, excuse the background noise. There's people in the hospital, workers and everything doing their thing. Um, but, yeah, it was absolutely wild and something that I don't think, like, 
I've ever experienced ever. So, like, in light of that, <laughs> like, I'm a dad now. So, you know, they went ahead and got him out of there. I heard him crying and everything. And it was just such a surreal moment, man. It was so crazy. It was such a, a wild thing to experience. And so now here he is. And, um, you know, you guys have seen pictures of him and stuff today on Instagram. Posted him on TikTok, Twitter. Um, so now... I'm just chilling and uh waiting on him to um waiting on him to uh you know grow. You know, they had some problems with his with his uh breathing at first, but he's breathing fine now and you know, he's resting and chilling. So Tessa made a recovery as well. My wife, beautiful wife Tessa, she's been so strong for these past nine months, so she made a a very uh a very epic recovery and she's probably going to be uh, discharged tomorrow so quick and we'll probably be back home and back and forth up in here to uh women and children's to take an eye on him and visit him until he's ready to come home so yeah and that's you know that's that so that's what it's been and um wow man <laughs> it's a, it snuck up on me like it wasn't even this wasn't even what i expected i didn't even expect this to to happen like this but it did and so you know we're just having to <clears throat> deal with it and um we're happy we're excited of course and as you guys can see today i've already begun <clears throat> i've already begun um you know stabilizing everything and and working on multitasking and you know going ahead and fitting j house stuff into my regular um daily life now that he now that asher's here so learning how to balance that um take care of him and check on him also helping my wife you know and and also finding time in between to get content done you know what i'm saying so there's there's a lot of that going on and um it's just crazy, bro. And I thank you all of you guys for your um for your well wishes for you know, just for being supportive and and leaving all the good positive energy on Facebook and, and Twitter and and Instagram and Vero, especially my Vero fam. Shout out to you guys. I love you guys absolutely. So, um, you know, I just thank you guys for uh so much and uh you know, it's crazy. So um, I'm going to take a little break here, five minutes, because this is a short podcast. Just going to throw in a local word from the Anchor sponsor. Then I'll be back. And then in the last five minutes of the short podcast, I'll just sort of just give you guys what's running down on my mind since this whole thing happened. You know, so stay tuned. <laughs> 